place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. I hope you have a great weekend planned, and uh, certainly thankful that you're giving me some of your time uh, to listen to uh, me talk about the Buffalo Bills, one of my favorite things to do every day, and deliver you this podcast. And so I was kind of thinking about what to talk about today, and just reviewing the notes and things that I've compiled from the course of the week regarding the Bills and different nuggets and things that are going on, I came up with a really long list of things. And so what I want to do is touch on each one of the notable nuggets that have come out across the landscape of both the draft, free agency, uh, that affects the Bills, and talk about it. So we're going to have this episode be more of a roundup type uh, edition, and there's a lot to get into, more than I was anticipating. So Uh, Before I get into that, I do want to let you guys know, remember to get your Twitter Tuesday takes in. If you have any Bills takes or questions that you want me to respond to, react to, answer for you, hit me up on Twitter at TheJoeMarino and hit me with the hashtag Twitter Tuesday in addition to your takes. Have a few already, but would like to get uh, a bunch more here for that Tuesday show as we anticipate that coming early next week. Also want to thank uh, Greg Thompson from Cover One, who joined me on our first ever edition of Water Cooler Wednesday. The feedback was really good. I know that uh, uh, you guys enjoyed that show, and I certainly enjoyed doing that with Greg. And I look forward to to doing that on a regular basis moving forward. Hopefully, every single week. Uh, but you guys got to let me know what guests you want. If there's anyone in the Twitter community that you want to join. Uh, or listen to me talk bills with on a water cooler Wednesday. Hit me up on Twitter at them on Twitter. Let's make it happen. Help me get those guests. Let me help me get the people that you want to listen to on the show. I think Greg did a really good job. He set the bar pretty high. But I'm also looking forward to you know coming episodes of Water Cooler Wednesday. Definitely just wanted to engage you guys more and, and make you guys more a part of the show. And I can talk bills for you 20, 30 minutes a day, or we can get other voices on and we can learn from each other and and uh, really take the discussion here to the next level. So uh, that's one of my favorite components of what I'm doing there with Water Cooler Wednesday. All right, let's get into the news and nuggets around the league that affect the Bills or involve the Bills. And the first thing I want to talk about is a couple of Bills that have been signed by other teams. A couple guys that we're used to seeing in the red, white, and blue. Now they're going to be wearing some different uniforms, and that's probably okay. Uh, But it's the first couple here that have signed elsewhere, the first one being John Miller, the guard who the Bills drafted in the third round. Um, He played out his rookie deal was a starter in three of four seasons and signed a three-year, $21 million deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. And so the the shift of Bills and Bengals players continues. Uh, you know, they have Cordy Glenn and John Miller now, and the Bills wind up signing like A.J. McCarron and Russell Bodine. And uh, the, the swaps just kind of keep continuing between both teams. And, um, you know, I, I think John Miller has a good, you know, I mean, they're paying him pretty well. He's going to be their starter at guard. And, you know they they've made a lot of strides with this offensive line in recent years. Uh, you know they lost Kevin Zeitler a couple years ago in free agency to the Browns, and I think this was a big step in in helping replace that. I mean Miller's nowhere near Zeitler's level, 
but it gives them a guy that you can probably get away with. Ideally, John Miller, you know, you probably have four studs and then John Miller's your fifth guy that you can kind of get by and win with. I don't know that he's going to be a foundational piece of any really good offensive line at the next level, but I know that dude works really hard and uh, I, I wish him nothing but the best for the Bengals. The other bill that signed elsewhere was Logan Thomas, tight end Logan Thomas. He signed with the Detroit Lions. I have some thoughts here because I was somewhat optimistic when Thomas switched over from quarterback to tight end and really embraced that transition, that there was a chance that he could really develop into a pretty dynamic guy just given his size and athletic profile and just untapped potential. And I think he did okay, right? Like he was... He never was a star, never really a guy that you said this is going to be our starter, but you felt fine with him as a, as a backup. He's not a great blocker, which is somewhat expected, but you know, if he was going to be the next big thing at tight end, I think it would have happened with the Bills. Now, obviously, I like his opportunity with Detroit to go there and work with Matt Stafford and uh, a more of a pass-centric offense. I, I think that's going to be good for him. And plus, you know, really the Lions don't have much in the way of anything interesting at tight end on their roster as it stands. I mean, they moved on from Eric Ebron. Michael Roberts is more of a blocker. And so I think Logan Thomas gives them something with some athleticism in terms of what they can get out of the passing game at the tight end position. And so I think he does have a really good opportunity to continue his acclimation and involvement as a tight end. And I certainly think the opportunity there to be more productive will exist with the Lions. So uh, all the best to both of those guys. You know, Logan Thomas was a player that I thought, you know, he did everything the right way and never, you know, never, I mean, look, he didn't make the plays we hoped he did, but I thought he represented the red, white, and blue very, very well. Um, so speaking of the Bengals and Bills tradition of swapping players, it, the Bills have worked out a former Bengals player here recently. I'm referring to Jake Fisher, who uh, entered the league as an offensive tackle. He was a second round pick for the Bengals in 2015. It was the same year they took, I think, Cedric Abwehi in the first round, and then they wind up taking Jake Fisher in the second round. Neither dude got it together. They thought they were going to have their pair of bookend tackles for years to come. Now, you know, look, they're, it doesn't look like they're going to resign Fisher and Abwehi signed with the Jaguars, and uh, neither one of those really became reliable starters. Actually, they were both liabilities. And so Jake Fisher, who was very athletic coming out of Oregon as a prospect, it's reported that he's down to 285 pounds and he's working on a transition to tight end. Uh, he's been running routes with uh, quarterbacks in California. He's only 25 years old. And again, his athletic profile for an offensive line was lineman was really good. So if he can shed weight and really become a tight end, that might be the best thing for him long-term with his career. You know he's going to be able to block. I mean, that that's going to be a given. And so that's kind of the appeal there. But, you know, is there some... Is there some baseline receiving ability that exists within him that can complement blocking ability to give yourself a chance in the league and provide a number two, number three tight end for an NFL offense? So I like that the Bills did their due diligence here to uh, work him out and, and see what's there. And uh, maybe that's something that has some upside if the Bills were to uh, pursue that route. Obviously, he could not possibly command much in the way of dollars and the bills have plenty of cap space and they have a need at tight end they've only got two on the roster and, and jason croom and tyler eifert so you know if you get a guy like that that you can you can challenge the depth of whatever you're going to add down the road here and maybe he can play some special teams make some tackles cover some kicks make a block and kick return punt return uh, maybe lead block as a fullback i mean 
credit to him for finding a way to stick in the league. And 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 you know that Sean McDermott's going to love a guy that's willing to embrace any role and be a team guy. And I think that there could be a fit there. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's going to be the difference between the Bills being a contender or not or anything like that. But it's an interesting idea, and I, I'm pretty intrigued that the Bills have even considered that option. Uh, Another thing here, the Bills hosted free agent safety Maurice Alexander. He spent four years with the Rams uh, before playing with the Seahawks in 2018. And his role with the Seahawks in 2018 was special teams. He played 153 special teams, snaps 48 on kick return, 58 on kick coverage, 20 on punt return, 27 on punt coverage. And he graded very well according to Pro Football Focus. And as you know, the Bills signed... Uh, Heath Farewell to be the Bills special teams coach and he was with Seattle last year as an assistant special teams coach so there's some familiarity there and we know the Bills need to get better on special teams covering kicks blocking four kicks covering punts all of those things and so there's a player that Buffalo has some familiarity with given the Farewell Alexander connection and there's a need now what's interesting is if you guys recall the state of the roster series when I dug into the safety position, I thought the construction of that group was really, really outstanding. You got Hyde and Poyer, which is a top three safety tandem in the NFL, and they're on riff, very reasonable deals, and they're both signed for at least two more seasons. And then you have an exciting, well, I, yeah, to me he's exciting. I like Saran Neal as a, as a backup, a, a guy that they drafted last year who I think has upside to become a big nickel, uh, give them a physical player that can attack downhill, and I like his special team's upside. And then also Dean Marlowe, who has been with Sean McDermott for a long time, knows the system. He's basically the fifth safety, plus Raphael Bush, who was an important player for the Bills' defense last year, that is the third safety in big slot. So I think the Bills' construction of the safety position is really good but this is just continues to speak to the Bills desire to add competition and and make sure that there is legitimate competition every single place on the roster even at positions where you thought the makeup of the group was okay now they didn't sign Alexander so there's nothing to react to in terms of that being a reality but the the thought process behind that visit makes sense and so um, you know, the Bills need to get better on special teams. And if you're going to be the third, fourth, fifth safety on this roster, you better be able to come down and cover kicks. Well, we know that Alexander can do that, and he did that well with Heath Farewell. So uh, I think that's why the visit happened, and I think there's plenty of intrigue there as well. Now, we're still waiting on a decision from Ziggy Ansa, the uh, Detroit Lions defensive end, former top five pick, visited the Bills uh, fairly recently, and then he visited the Saints, and then that's been about all we've heard on that situation. Uh, the Saints have since made some big signings. They they signed uh, Nick Easton to play center. They signed Mar- Mario Edwards to play defensive line, Malcolm Brown to play defensive line. They signed Jared Cook, and they didn't have a lot of cap space to begin with. So the New Orleans Saints have pretty much invested – most of their remaining cap space. And so I don't necessarily think there's a natural opportunity there within the makeup of its current roster to make a run at Ansa, certainly compared to what Buffalo could do if Buffalo's comfortable with his medicals. Remember, he's kind of been banged up a lot in his career and he just had shoulder surgery back in December. So there is uh, some concerns there health-wise and there could be some disconnect between what he's looking for in terms of a contract and what the Bills are willing to pay. And we know the Bills are probably not going to overpay. Now, the longer this goes on, the lower I would expect his deal 
deal to, to be. And, and we haven't heard of any other interest from other teams in terms of visits. So this might be one of those things where you wait it out and eventually uh, it makes sense for both sides to strike a deal assuming the medicals check out. So we'll stay, we'll stay plugged in on that situation, but it doesn't seem like there's, more, uh, there's much traction from any party in terms of the Bills lasering in on a deal with Ansa or Ansa having much interest from anyone besides the Bills and Saints because he hasn't had any other visits. So now as we flip gears over to the draft side of things, there's a lot of relevant notes here uh, in terms of different pro days that the Bills have been at, different players that are coming in for visits. And so I want to touch on some of the notable uh, news that we've learned throughout the last week. Uh, First thing, the big one I thought was the Bills defensive back coach, John Butler. He ran defensive back drills at Temple's Pro Day here recently. And obviously the prize of uh, the Temple uh, defensive backfield is Rocky Asin, uh, their cornerback. Um, he's, uh, to me, I love him in press man. Uh, I really love his ability to be physical at the line of scrimmage. And I think he embraces a lot of the uh, the work ethic type stuff that Sean McDermott really cares about. Uh, Temple does this thing where uh, the single digit numbers are reserved for the nine most uh, the nine toughest players on the team. And of course, Rocky Asin has one of those single digit numbers. And so kind of speaks to, you know, his work ethic and character and, and you know, that he's a process guy and, and he's, he's a good cornerback. I think he's a little tight. My concerns with him is he's got some heavy feet and he's not the most fluid guy, but you know, I, I certainly love how he competes and he's got some ball skills about him. And uh, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that the bills defensive back coach ran those drills at the pro day. And so when I saw that come through, I reached out to, a former NFL scout to find out um, how much it mattered that the Bills defensive back coach was running those drills. And so here's my text to him, and I'll tell you the response back. I said, wanted to reach out to you and get your thoughts on this type of information, referring to uh, John Butler running the Temple Pro Day defensive back drills. I said, when you read things like a position coach from a team is leading drills at a pro day, is there anything to glean from that? What actually goes into deciding who runs drills at a pro day? And the response was, in most cases, if there's a position coach in attendance, then that's a good sign that a particular team has specific interest in that player. Some teams like the Bengals and Lions send their coaches all over the place, so it wouldn't mean much if they're at a pro day. But usually if a coach is there, then they like a player at a certain level. If there's multiple position coaches, then they usually work it out between themselves who runs certain drills. Hope that makes sense. So what can we glean from this that the Bills have interest in Rocky Sin. Very much so. They sent their position coach to the workout. And so we need to think about Rocky Sin as, as, and where he would potentially be valued by the Bills. And I think that would make sense with the Bills' second round pick. I don't think he gets to the third round, and I think he's far too early for the first round, uh, you know, number nine. But in, uh, that second that second round pick, it would make some sense. And so... um with the other news that I want to get into here, that the Bills are hosting Penn State cornerback Amani Oruarie for a pre-draft visit, bringing him in, there's pretty clear interest that the Bills have interest in that cornerback position, potentially with their second-round pick. And so I think it's something we need to talk about and something we need to take seriously. So one thing I'll do for you guys next week is do one of those seven-round mock drafts where the Bills take a cornerback in the second round. Not something, not something I've considered yet. I, I really like Sean McDermott's ability to piece together the secondary, and that doesn't mean that there's not good players back there. We have a, a top tier safety tandem. 
Trey White's a legit number one corner, and then you have this mix of Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson for that opposite uh, cornerback spot to Trey White. So I like what the Bills have in place there, but we need to be we need to be honest with ourselves here and understand that the Bills are 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 spending considerable time here with two prospects that make would make sense for them to pick in terms of value in the second round. And I like both of those players. I just haven't really considered this possibility. Uh, Amani Orarie really love his body control for his size. He's physical. Uh, I think he can win in any technique. He's long, um, and uh, I think he's got good ball skills. So he's a good player. I think. I think I wouldn't like if I was a team at the back of the end of the first round, like the Rams, um, like the Chiefs that need a corner. Like I think he'd be a good pick. I I, I support that. I've mocked Amani Orarie frequently in the first round all throughout the course of the, the entire year, honestly. You know, back to him, I did my first mock draft this year in August. I've done six of them. I think you've probably seen Amani O in five out of six of those first rounds. So, worthy prospect, just haven't considered the Bills going in that direction in round two. We'll talk more about that next week, but as we can tell, there is interest in the Bills filling that cornerback spot potentially as early as their second-round pick. Uh, another player that has been uh, reported as being brought in for a pre-draft visit being hosted is uh, Nate Davis, who's an offensive lineman from Charlotte. Uh, I like Nate Davis a lot, actually. I um, I watched several of his games, wrote a scouting report for him. And whenever you hear me talk about draft prospects, remember, I work for the Draft Network. I write scouting reports all the time. I'm, I'm going to do over 300 for this year's class, and I've, I've done a lot already. And so you can go to thedraftnetwork.com. You can go to our prospect rankings. You can search any prospect, and you can read mine and my colleagues' scouting reports on these players. So don't, don't, uh, don't not know about the players, and I'm going to talk about them, obviously, but remember that there's a great reference uh, resource of value for you to learn more about these players. Uh, Nate Davis, um, you know, when you think about a small school guy, uh, like, you know, a guy coming from Charlotte, you want to make sure that they can, you know, handle the upper level competition. And the first game that I watched from Nate Davis was against Tennessee, where Charlotte um, played against Tennessee this past year, and he kicked ass, man. He was moving bodies. He was putting people on their back. You know, he he played tackle in that game, which I didn't love because I don't think he's a natural tackle. I think he's got some issues with some, you know, his with his base and his kick step and, and really reaching his set points that just make him not a natural tackle and it caused some some body control issues. But you saw the power in that game to really move bodies and really anchor. And then I watched more games and he played guard, and you just, you know, all the concerns that I had with him in terms of his set points and kick slide at tackle are gone because he's playing on the interior, and he's certainly plenty strong to be able to handle interior rushers. And so Nate Davis, who I think is a guard all day long, he went to the Senior Bowl. He played really, really well. He showed that he, you know, he's one of the best seniors in the country. And so uh, I really like Nate. Um, I think he's, you know, he's a good blend of size, mobility, and power. Um, and I think he's probably a round three, round four guy. So the Bills might not be done building this offensive line and certainly looking to add more uh, young talent. And, and what what's interesting about Nate Davis that's kind of in line with what the Bills went after in Ty Insecki and John Feliciano is guys with an edge, guys with some power, guys with some nasty that want to move people out of the way. And so this kind of speaks to that philosophy of getting guys that, that have that tenacious mentality as a blocker. And so uh, Nate Davis falls into that line of thinking, and uh, the Bills are obviously showing some interest there using one of their 30 pre-draft visits to bring him in. 
another player that the Bills are going to have a private workout with. Now, workouts are different than visits. Um, is a couple of tight ends. I've talked about Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M. The Bills are going to be working him out um, and uh, getting eyes on him. Texas A&M, he, he's a, I really like him. Uh, he's a very dynamic dude. Um, made a lot of big plays. I think he was like the only tight end in the country to, to have a, a reception of over 20 yards in every game this past year, and he did it in the SEC. Interesting story, he, uh, he played at, at Kansas his first two years in college football. He caught one pass for five yards. Then he went to the JUCO ranks and did well, and then he went to Texas A&M, and he was dominant. I mean, an amazing season at Texas A&M in the SEC. And uh, big play threat, love his ability to bust the seam, really good in stick routes. I mean, uh, his his ability to separate and, and really be smooth in and out of breaks and work towards, uh, you know, work routes on the horizontal plane is really exciting, and I love his hands. So um, I, I think the Bills will be well served by, by obviously, doing their due diligence on Sternberger, but also investing in him maybe with that third-round pick. Uh, they're also going to have a private workout with Dawson Knox from Ole Miss. Uh, he's a player that is super tantalizing. I mean, he's got a lot of traits. You see some high-level flashes from him uh, the last two seasons in the receiving game. But the reality is, he's just, I mean, his production has been so poor at Ole Miss. I mean, he just didn't get those opportunities to uh, to make a lot of plays in the passing game. But when he got targeted... He he was really exciting, and then also when whenever you watch like the all twenty two of Ole Miss Ole Miss's offense, which I've done a ton because they have so many different prospects there, and I've seen every game like so many times. You see a guy that just gets open all the time, but he never gets the ball thrown to him. And I mean that's kind of frustrating when I talk about DK Metcalf too. I mean Jordan Tiamo, the quarterback from Ole Miss, he wanted to throw the ball to AJ Brown. <laughs> and and then all the other guys they have, Demarcus Lodge, another good receiver, Dawson Knox, DK Metcalf, or they seem to be afterthoughts a lot of times. But Dawson Knox, I think he has some untapped potential. He's a, a former quarterback in high school, and he transitioned over to tight end. And you know, I mean, it's, they have such an elementary route tree in terms of what they ask those receivers and tight ends to do at, at Ole Miss. So there's a lot he needs to do in terms of developing and getting better and learning the position more. But uh, I think there's some, like I said, there's some untapped potential. There's some upside and intrigue there with Dawson Knox that if the Bills were thinking about a tight end, you know, round four, round five area, I think he would make a lot of sense, and they've shown some interest. A couple more things to get into. The Bills are working out Minnesota linebacker Blake Cashman. Um, Blake Cashman is a guy that really wasn't on my radar until the combine where he blew the thing up. Super athletic guy. And I think that it speaks to linebacker, the depth of linebacker being a sneaky need for the Bills. I mean, outside of Milano, you know, they have obviously Milano, Edmonds, and, and Alexander, you feel really good about those three. But the depth of the group is, you know, it's interesting. It's a lot of guys that are have experience in the league, but never really productive linebackers and guys that haven't really been all that good on special teams for the Bills. I mean, Deion Lacey, Julian Stanford, Corey Thompson, those guys, I mean, guys that have been around, but you don't feel super good about them stepping in on defense and you know where's where's the consistency on special teams and so I, I think the Bills can certainly challenge those guys with a rookie, and I think somewhere on day three they'll probably draft a linebacker and add to the mix, give, get another young player. I mean, the Bills drafted a player on day three at linebacker a couple years ago named Matt Milano. That worked out pretty good. So um, I think you know you, you can hope to strike gold there again, and I think uh, at least one draft pick on day three will be used 
on a linebacker in Blake Cashman would be an interesting guy since he's so athletic, and he actually had a really good season for Minnesota last year. Uh, Brandon Bean has been a busy man. He's attended two pro days that we know of in the last week. Uh, first of all, Alabama went down to Tuscaloosa there and checked out the uh, the endless talent that the Crimson Tide always seems to have. And he was also at Ohio State this uh, past week. So uh, Brandon Bean active in the scouting circuit, doing his uh, due diligence on prospects. I mean, there's a host of guys from Alabama and Ohio State that the Bills could be interested. They mean, I mean, those two teams could have... 15 plus guys drafted this year so you know it's maybe even more maybe pushing 20 I mean they they always have guys so I don't want to get spend too much time talking into the specifics but I think the big takeaway here is Brandon Bean hitting up these big time universities with with uh, attending their pro days Bean's always been very active on the road and scouting I run into him a ton in the press box when I'm uh, when I'm going to games on a weekly basis during the course of the season, so Brandon Bean is very much a, a you know boots on the ground, getting his own eyes on these guys. So, and that continues here with the pro day circuit. The last thing I want to do here is give a shout out to Matthew Fairburn. He's he covers the Buffalo Bills for the Athletic, and his piece on Mitch Morse was really terrific. Um, would encourage you to read that. Um, this is this is not I'm not being paid to say this. I just I, you know. I respect uh, Matt's, Matt's work. I mean, he's really becoming an outstanding feature writer, and uh, everything he writes is priority reading uh, for me. And uh, but I just, in particular, really enjoyed the Mitch Morse piece. And he did such a nice job of uh, of introducing a player that the Bills just invested very heavily in to you know the Bills fan base. And so I really appreciated uh, how he framed that and, and kind of peeled back the layers a little bit and got us. Uh, some information on Mitch Morse and, and Matt actually attended Missouri at the same time Mitch Morse was there so there was kind of an interesting unique angle that Matt was able to hit it from so um, make sure you're following Matt Fairburn on Twitter and make sure you're reading his work because you will uh, be smarter and you will uh, be thoroughly uh, you will it'll be time well spent every time you you click on a Matt Fairburn article to read uh, his features on the Buffalo Bills because they are simply outstanding. So uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. That's going to do it for us today. As always, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it with that five-star rating, and leave a written review. Tell someone about the podcast, share it, retweet it, all that stuff. Get your Twitter Tuesdays in. Let me know who you want on Water Cooler Wednesday, and I hope you have a good weekend. Thanks so much for listening to Lockdown Bills.